Uh, We're just going to read from James chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Uh, And those of you who were here last week will know that uh, the letter of James is not the easiest one for us to read. Uh, There are many challenges within it, but still some great hope uh, as well. So James chapter 1, chapter 2, sorry, beginning at verse 1. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, uh, but you say to the poor man, you stand there or sit by, on the floor by my feet, you have, no, you have not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point of it is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do not murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Cool. So, good morning. Um, It's nice to see you all in person rather than just looking at a screen. Um, So today we are looking at um, this book of James and this idea of like not sharing partiality um, and what does that look like? What does that mean for us? Is this just something that James has been talking about all those years ago and is not relevant for us? Um, well, let's have a look. So James is, um, as Carl said, you know, one of those books that like I find every time I read it, it hits me like a ton of bricks because there's always something that I read in there and I'm like, oh my goodness, conviction, I need to change something um, about the way I'm living or my response to people or, or something because actually it's so blunt and it's so direct and it's so straight to the point and I think that is wonderful. Um, so let's have a look at um, the passage um, that we've just read today. James starts off bluntly as ever. He says, my brothers and sisters, Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. He's not faffing around. He says it as it is. We must not show favoritism. What does that look like? He carries on. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man also comes in in filthy clothes. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, hey, here is a great seat for you, great view, you can see the projector, it's wonderful. But then you say to somebody else, hey, go and sit by there, go sit by the bell tower, you you know, you don't deserve to be here really. Actually, have we not discriminated among among ourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? That's pretty pretty blunt, it's pretty, you know, he's saying in in verse 9, he says, you know, if you show favouritism, 
you sin and you're convicted of the law. So it's, he's, not, he's not messing about with, with any of this. And it's pretty heavy stuff, really. And I was kind of thinking, like, okay, James uses this example of, you know, rich, poor, that to be his kind of partiality lens, if you like. Um, but what sort of partiality lenses, if you like, do we use today when we respond to people, when we interact with people? So I kind of had a little think about some of these, and I think some of them are going to come up on the screen. Yeah. So we might favour people. So the idea of partiality is this idea of favouring people or, or not favouring people, depending on something. And so I was just thinking of a few things. Some of them are more trivial than others, but we do show partiality based on these things. We might uh, treat somebody different based on their political views or their place in society or whether we like them or not or whether we think we should help them or not. Or, you know, sometimes even, even more trivial things like their football team or their, um, their choice of music or that sort of thing. Now, these are the lenses that we use to, to treat people with or not treat people well with. Um, but something I felt God really like, put on my heart to share today was this idea of actually what lenses are we using or are we wearing when it comes to sharing the gospel with people, when it comes to actually like, speaking of the wonderful news of, of the things that God has done for us. Are we showing partiality to those to, with whom we share the gospel? And so that's, the, that's kind of our question for today. Are we showing partiality towards those whom we share the gospel with? So we're going to take a little break from James quickly and jump into Mark chapter 7. Um, so I'd encourage you, if you've got your Bibles here, to open it up um, and have a look. Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 24. And so whilst you find that, I'll just give you a little, little bit of context as to what's, what's going on here. Um, so Jesus is in Capernaum. He is um, about to travel some 50 miles north up to a place called Tyre, which there's not a lot going on in Tyre, but Jesus is going to go anyway because he knows there's a lady who needs to meet him up there. And I had a little Google, actually, and this would have taken about two or three days to walk. So this isn't just a quick, I'm just going to pop into town kind of affair. This is a proper, like, boys, let's pack your bags, we're off kind of thing. So Jesus really knows he needs to be there. So we're going to read. Um, cool. Jesus left that place, Capernaum, and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, but it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Now, I've always found this a bit of a weird story partially because of Jesus' response to her. Like, that's not... I wouldn't expect somebody to respond to me like that if I came to them asking for my daughter to be healed. But also because of this weird cultural metaphor that he uses about dogs and children. And, and I did a little bit of research on that, and it's very interesting. Um, but that's not really what I want to focus on today at all. I want to look at, like, why on earth Jesus has frolicked all the way up to Tyre to go and see this lady. Because first of all, there's, well, there's, a, there's a few kind of cultural red flags that come up when I read this. So first of all, she's a woman, right? And so 
we all know the context, the situation. Men and women didn't hang out like, like we do these days. Um, and so by his spending time with her, he's, he's giving value to her, which would have been like, everyone's like, oh, gosh, what's Jesus doing here? And then again, um, the fact she's a Greek, Greek uh, Jews and Gentiles, they didn't mix, they didn't like each other, they didn't care for each other. Um, and so again, Jesus is he's breaking some, some cultural norms, if you like, in, in speaking to this lady. And so I kind of thought, like, why is he doing that? And why is she so desperate also to, to, to be helped by him? And I kind of came to the conclusion that actually, like, Jesus knew he had something to offer this woman that would completely change her life, that would completely change the life of her daughter. And so he didn't care about the idea of cultural norms. He didn't care about the cultural expectations. He didn't care what other people were going to think of him because his desire was, hang on, no, no, no. My role here is to love people and to show them the Father. And so that's exactly what I'm going to do here to this lady. Despite what everyone else might think, I'm not going to wear any partiality lenses in, in this situation. I'm just going to love her as, as I should. So, motivated by love, Jesus changes this lady's life. So I want to just go back to that question that uh, we had a second ago, being... Are we showing partiality towards those with whom we share the gospel with? Jesus didn't. So what does this look like for us? And can I just say, like, when we talk about the gospel, I think it's really important that we just clarify what we're talking about. Because I think the gospel has two sort of implications in terms of our response to it. I think the gospel is, well, it is, is the wonderful, wonderful truth that we sing about every week in church. The fact that, you know, Jesus, uh, God so loved that he gave, the fact that Jesus came, the fact that Jesus died and he rose again for us. And, you know, the fact he's seated next to the right hand of God and he is, um, you know, that means for us that we can be holy, righteous, blameless before God. And that, like, incredible, scandalous, wonderful truth, that is the gospel, right? But I think it's got two implications in that I think we need to be speaking about that gospel when we talk about sharing the gospel like actually physically sharing those words of truth but also we need to be living it and I think it's really important that we don't separate the two of those things because I think it's very easy for us to live it and be really great at living it and love people and serve people well but then we don't share with them and actually we have something that changes people's lives and so we have a responsibility to share that with them because otherwise, you know, if we're, if we're just speaking it, then we become hypocritical people who aren't living it. But if we only live it, then we don't tell people about the wonderful thing that we have to offer them and the eternal life that that means or that can mean for them. So, back to this idea of partiality lenses. Are we showing partiality to those whom we share the gospel with? Recently, um, I was convicted by the Holy Spirit um, about a partiality lens, if you like, that I was wearing that I didn't realise I was wearing. Um, So one of my best friends at uni, he's not a Christian yet, um, but we were having this chat um, about eight or nine months ago in the car. And he sort of said, Amy, you're a Christian. Yes, I am. And he proceeded to ask me a whole host of questions about, you know, what I thought about this, that, the other, you know, all the classic things that Christians get asked. Um, and so I sort of was like, oh, okay, well, I'll, uh, I'll answer these. And we had a nice conversation. Then I flipped the questions back on him. I was like, what do you think about these things? And he sort of answered. And, but we came away from that conversation um, 
or I came away from that conversation a little bit dejected because his conclusion from our chat was that actually, you know, faith isn't for me. I don't really need it. You know, it's not, it's not what I want. And so I was very much like, oh, uh, okay, <laughs> great. Because, uh, I mean, this is the first, like, proper, straight, no, I don't, I'm not interested that I'd ever received when, when talking to people about Jesus. Um, and so I was a little bit dejected about it. So I went home with this resolve to pray for him and this resolve to, yeah, pull a load of my friends together to pray for him. But also a little bit like, well, actually, if my speaking of the gospel to him is going to, um, you know, affect our friendship this much, then maybe I'll just kind of shy away from him. Maybe I'll just love him and treat him well, you know. That's, that's good friendship. But actually, about a week later, the Holy Spirit really, really convicted me um, from a verse in Romans 3, um, which says... Uh, I believe it's up there. Yeah, so Paul is talking to the was talking about the Jews and how they have been in they have been put in charge of passing down the oracles of God. And he's saying, you know, but what if one day they decide not to keep going with it? What if they, one day they decide to be faithless about it or unfaithful rather towards it? Um, and then he poses this great question. He says, "Does their faithfulness, no, does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God?" By no means. Of course it doesn't. And I really felt God challenge me. Um, because when I'm reading that, I was like, oh, of course it doesn't. No, it doesn't affect God. What a silly thing to think. But I felt God challenge me saying, Amy, does your friend's unfaithfulness and current choice not to believe the gospel and not accept it as is it in, does that nullify and make void my faithfulness and the fact that I want to love him and I want to know him and I want him to be part of my um, kingdom with me? By no means does it do that. So, darling, why on earth are you acting like it does? So, yeah, in, he, you know, he said, in, in your wearing of this, this lens, if you like, of I don't think he wants to know. They were kind of the glasses I was wearing. Actually, I was making it in a way, and it's such a dangerous thing to do, I was making it my responsibility to decide whether or not he hears the gospel. And that is not my responsibility, and neither is it ever going to be any of our responsibilities to decide who does and who does not hear the gospel. Because we have received a very, very clear call from Jesus throughout the gospels, but particularly at the end of his time on earth in the Great Commission, to go and make disciples of all nations. So of all workplaces, of all schools, of all colleges, of all golf clubs, of all coffee shops, of all libraries, of wherever we are, we are called to make disciples and to share the gospel both in what we say to people and how we live. Amen. Yes. <laughs> so our, in, in this situation, God's faithfulness has not changed. Right? There it is. God's faithfulness has not changed. By no means has God's faithfulness changed. Our responsibility to those around us, therefore, to share the gospel, to love them well, has also not changed. And so our response and our doing that should not change either. How will people ever hear of the gospel and hear of the wonderful, wonderful stuff that God has done for us if we're constantly making decisions based on appearances, based on personality traits, based on political views, based on what we think their response to the gospel is going to be? They're never going to hear it. So back to my friend, what's my responsibility towards him? Well, for lack of a better word, it's to not shut up about what the amazing stuff that God has done in my life. Because actually the gospel is the power of God for salvation. And so I want to tell him the gospel. I want to tell him the things that God has done. I want to tell him the things that God has done for me and for him. 
and also love him and serve him well because it's important to do both. And yeah, and to, to get rid of any and all partiality lenses I might be wearing towards him that might hinder that. Now I'm very aware that in my saying that I actually, I'm surrounded by a lot of people who have walked this walk far longer than I have and a lot of you have been loving Jesus and have got amazing stories from way before I was born and that's wonderful but one thing I have learned and I have come to realise in my comparatively short walk with Jesus is that actually whoever we are and however old we are we have a responsibility to those around us to preach the gospel in our words and to love people <coughs> and preach the gospel in our actions as well because I don't think there's one soul on this earth that God looks at and says I don't want him you know actually do you know we can he can sit by the door because actually the the rich man and the poor man in the story in, in James they both needed to hear the gospel just as much as the other one did and they both needed to know of the love that God had for them just as much as the other one did and so our judgments and our perceptions and our responses should not hinder them from hearing the gospel and hearing of the wonderful, wonderful stuff that God has done for them. So what's our kind of response to this? And this is something that I felt God really um, speak to me back when I was um, kind of processing the situation with my friend. Actually, I think there's two things that we need to be doing in response to this and that I, that, yeah, that I needed to do and I think, again, we need to do today is actually, first of all, say to God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for where I've worn partiality lenses that have made me judge of who hears the gospel and who does not. I'm really sorry that's not my responsibility and I don't want it to be. And then I think the second part of that is actually, here I am, God. Send me. Use me to be your hands and feet. Use me to preach the gospel to whoever I come into encounter with. Make it my heart's desire that everybody who I encounter would have an opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus and the wonderful, wonderful implications that that has. Um, yeah. So I'm just going to pray for us, and then I think, are we having some time of worship? I'm having some time of worship. Um, where we, maybe we can respond to that a little bit more. So, so yeah, Heavenly Father, thank you um, so much, God, that you choose to use us in your plan in, in rescuing the world, God. Thank you that you choose to, to use us. And, and I'm, I'm so sorry, and, and we're so sorry, actually, for where we have made, that our, made it our responsibility to decide who does and who does not hear the gospel. Um, we're sorry for the lenses that we have put on and the, the, yeah, the, the, the ways that we see people that prevent us from sharing or cause us to want to share more. Father, I ask that you would really yeah, reset our hearts in that. Um, and then, God, would you use us? As you reset our hearts, would you use us? Would you use us to um, share the gospel with everybody? Would you make it our heart's desire that everybody we encounter, whether, wherever we are, would, would have an opportunity to hear and respond to the wonderful, wonderful truth of your gospel? Amen.